today on The Lab Report. We talk more about nutrition because we realized we didn't cover all of it in 30 minutes. Well, it was a pretty ambitious goal, but I thought we hit it. Yeah, I know, but somebody called in and was like all upset. Wait, who's calling in? This hasn't even launched yet. It was my mom. Oh. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. We're here. Hi. Hello. Hi there. It's the Lab Report. My name is Michael Chapman. And I'm Patty Devers. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Good to be with you. And, you know, thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, you can always subscribe on pod on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can rate us, leave a review. All of that's really helpful for us. You can also connect with our show by emailing at podcast. I do that every time. You do. It's not, you can't just email at something. You can't. That's, that's for other platforms. <laughs> what is it? Podcast. Just email podcast at, at gdx.net. GDX. That is where you email. If you would like to submit something for question of the day, if you're a clinician and you utilize our testing and maybe you have a cool case to share, any of those. That would be other, really cool. I know. I would like to do that. I hope people really take soon. advantage of that. That would be really neat. I'd like to do that soon. I mm-hmm. think it'd be really fun. But what are we doing today? Well, you mentioned that we didn't cover all of nutrition last time. and Turns out nutrition has a long history. <sighs> Apparently. Just like a lot of other things. Oh, it was just food. I always try to summarize. What more could we say? I know. I know. But I guess there is more to say. And one of the things that there is, we actually didn't talk a whole lot about food, but we're going to do that on a later episode. We're going to get all into diets and different, what, what you should, should not be eating, which is a whole big can of worms because there's a lot of people out there that honestly, I think may just, they've been so confused, they may not know what to eat anymore. And there are others who have really strong feelings about their particular choice in diet. There are some keto, paleo. There's some really strong feelings about people's diets out there. That's true. People get crazy about food. But the end goal of the diet is to supply the body with nutrients, Mm -hmm. the right nutrients, Mm -hmm. such that they're not getting set up for chronic conditions or they're trying to alleviate chronic conditions and optimize wellness. That's the goal of the the whole bag. I know. And we talked about how even with their best efforts, oftentimes people fall short and there's still some subtle insufficiencies. So I think today we should be talking about how to assess nutritional levels in your patients. What are the best technologies, methods? How do you determine whether your patient does have adequate nutrition going on? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I, I think about when I'm trying to answer that question is, I guess first, what are the nutrients that we're even, what are the biggest ones that we're concerned about? What are the biggest nutritional elements, minerals, vitamins, or even just groupings of those things that are most important to you as a clinician? I would think most clinicians want to know patients' amino acid status, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Most likely fatty acids, essential and metabolic fatty acids. Yeah, I think that's important. Some of that you can probably glean a little bit from the diet, but... The problem is diet, dietary recall, I think, is, in my experience, it's it's really problematic. I mean, we try to do the best that we can with a 24-hour recall, but patients 
I don't get the sense that they're always 100% candid on those. And sometimes they're, they're trying to impress you as much as they are trying to impress themselves about what they ate over the last 24 (laughs) hours. Myself included. I think I do this too. I do too. I don't even think I know that I'm doing it. I'm just like, I just casually leave out like the 17 cups of coffee that I had the day before. And I don't want to let anyone down. So I would tell the doctor, oh, I've done all of those things. (laughs) Yeah, I meditated like (laughs) six hours. False. But I mean, false reporting aside, (laughs) I think fatty acids, you're right. That's that's something that can really give you some insight into what what the fat balance, what the types of fats that's been coming into the system over the last month or so has been. And I think we talked a little bit about direct measurement of certain things like magnesium and folate and zinc and copper. Some Um, minerals. Yeah, some trace minerals. The other concept is that we had the discussion around serum levels of B vitamins versus functional assessment. Yeah. Right? So with that, organic acids is a way to assess someone's vitamin status. Well, when you think about vitamin deficiency and the major clinical conditions that are associated with them, you've got scurvy with vitamin C, you've got Rickets. Rickets with vitamin D, and then you've got the ones with the B vitamins. So obviously, if just going off of that, those things are critically important, right? right? Vitamin C, B vitamins, and vitamin D. And with the exception of vitamin D, those others are really, really tricky to measure and get an adequate reading. We've got the serum B12, but what about the rest of the B vitamins? Right. And vitamin C, you cannot get a good reading by doing a direct measurement of vitamin C. You just can't. So you're left to try to figure out other ways to assess for those. Right. And in the functional medicine world, they use things like organic acids that can give you insight into steps in metabolic processes that we know require specific vitamins and minerals to make that next step happen. Right. We use functional biomarkers to elucidate any of those abnormalities in the biochemical pathways that depend on cofactors. And a lot of times we're talking about, in this case, either B vitamin cofactors or minerals. Right. Those are the majority of things that are used as cofactors for enzymes in the body. So the minerals, magnesium, zinc, copper sometimes, and then B vitamins like B2, B3, B5, B6, B12, those are used a lot. Right, right, right. What about other things? Do you think as part of a nutritional assessment, you'd want to know exposures or oxidative stressors? I mean, I don't think of those right off the bat as telling me information about nutrition, but it tells me information. It tells me extra information. I think that's one of the things that a test like the NutriVal really provides the clinician. It not only provides the clinician with the information about nutrition and and potential needs and functional needs for nutrients, specific nutrients. It also tells you other information. It tells you about detoxification pathways. It tells you about toxic exposures. It tells you about oxidative stress and DNA damage and, and all those other kind of subcomponents, those systemic functions or even cellular functions that might be abnormal that are not unrelated to adequate nutrition. And a lot of times they depend upon adequate nutrition for to, to rectify the problem. But yeah, they're not exactly... A, either a functional or a direct marker for that nutri- nutrient need. So it's it's really, it's a combination test in a lot of ways. Right, and I think the NutriVal hits all of these big points. And the other place where the NutriVal 
as you just pointed out, that we talk about toxins and ox stress as not being directly related to nutrition, but offering significant insight. Quite similarly, on the NutraVal, they have those malabsorption and dysbiosis markers, which can give you a suggestion that there may be something going on in the gut. Yeah. Not diagnostically, but can well, give insight. Yeah. And since you brought it up, I mean, let's kind of walk through a little bit of, of the NutraVal in case, you know, people listening are not familiar with it. Like mm-hmm. what, what is the test and, and what's on it? It's a big test. Yeah. There's a lot of biomarkers on this test. There's like 4,000 biomarkers Ish, on that test. Maybe, give or, at two, least. give or take two or three, yeah. yeah. And, you know, that being said, that's why it, it provides all that information because it's really, at its core, I'm just going to say this. Go. It's a metabolomic test. Mm. And what I mean by metabolomic is it it tests many different metabolites in the body. And by metabolites, what I mean by that word is they're intermediates of biochemical processes in the body. And they're not even really intermediates. We just sort of pick and choose which ones, you know, we, mm-hmm. we call an intermediate. And, you know, <laughs> right. everything in biochemistry is an intermediate because it's, it's so interconnected. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's a biochemical footprint of the patient. And that's that's what I mean by metabolomic. It's 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 looking at the entire array of biochemistry and then summarizing that information based on what healthy individuals look like where you might be abnormal. And what's interesting of each of those specific topics we talked about, amino acids, fatty acids, you can measure all of those separately. But I think the beauty of the NutraVal is it puts it all together in one huge test and then can take it that next step and offer some therapeutic recommendations based on the totality of that biochemical footprint. Yeah, exactly. So half the test is telling you the results. It's kind of like a results overview summary. And then the other half of the test is the actual, the the metabolomic part. And that's broken up into what sections? Uh, The first section is... You're on the spot. (laughs) Luckily, I know this test quite well. The first section is organic acids, where we're looking at, (laughs) thank you, we're looking at markers in the Krebs cycle. We're looking at dysbiosis and malabsorption markers. We're looking at neurotransmitter metabolites and vitamin markers and toxic exposure and detox markers. Then the next section is all amino acids. Wow. Where we're looking at essentials and non-essentials and uh, urea cycle markers as well. The next section is the essential and metabolic fatty acid markers. Really? (laughs) And here we're going to give you a red blood cell assessment of omega-3s, omega-6s, 9s, saturated, trans fats, the omega-3 index. So it's pretty comprehensive there. There's also an entire page showing the metabolic, the metabolism of fatty acids and how it goes from one step to the next, looking at some of those specific elongase and desaturase enzymes around fatty acid metabolism. The next section speaks to oxidative stress, direct marker, (laughs) wow, direct measures of oxidative stress markers and CoQ10 and glutathione. We look at vitamin D as an add-on. There's also an add-on to look at nutrient and toxic elements. And bringing it home, we're also going to look at SNP, single nucleotide polymorphisms that may be associated as well. Yeah, and the, the genetic polymorphism part is a complete add-on as well. That's You can have your pick from MTHFR, from APOE, COMT, and then 
TNF alpha are the, the four available SNPs to add on to the NutriVal if you're interested in looking at a patient's genomics, which I think for a nutritional test, it's always interesting to look at somebody's genomics because you, you, you get that information of predisposition, genetic predisposition, and you get to match that up to the actual results, the right. real-time results in the biochemistry. So I think it's always a, a nice thing to be able to tell a little bit of the history along with where they're at right now. With all of those sections we just outlined and the 4,000 biomarkers-ish mm-hmm. that yeah. we measure, do you think maybe you could speak a little bit to how we take all of that ridiculous amount of information and turn that into recommendations? Sure. So what we do is we're looking at all these biochemical pathways, right? That's why there's so many biomarkers. And by looking at those biochemical pathways, we know the enzymes that are responsible for maintaining those biochemical processes that's in the literature. And we know the cofactors for those enzymes, whether it be B6, whether it's B1, B2, B3, whatever the cofactors are, we know what those are specific to the enzymes and specific to the metabolites we're, we're looking at. So you kind of think of it like a highway where if one molecule A, just call it molecule A, is trying to turn into molecule B, the enzyme is what carries it from, from A to B. And the cofactor, whether we'll pretend it's vitamin B6 in this case, the cofactor helps the enzyme carry it from A to B. If you don't have that cofactor, vitamin B6 in this case, then what you're going to find is a low level of B or a lower level of B compared to normal and a higher level of A compared to normal. And so we're looking at that one step for B6, and then we're looking at maybe a second place where this occurs for B6, and a third place where this occurs for B6. We're looking at all those enzymes, not all of them, but we're looking at a lot of different enzymes that would require B6, and whether those pathways seem to be, those highways seem to be moving at a relatively normal speed, or whether there's a traffic jam. And then we add all that information up using an algorithm, and that ultimately creates the recommendation for vitamin B6. And the algorithm is based on literature. The algorithm is based on literature. It was actually developed using a scoring system, scoring the literature, relative weight and clinical association with respect to each nutrient. And that's what drives the algorithm, or at least the foundation of the algorithm. And that is what is used to not only recommend B6, but B1, B2, B3, even things like alpha-poic acid, vitamin C, vitamin E, vitamin A, the fat-soluble vitamins, the antioxidants, which, again, the ability to, to measure those in the, in the, directly in the serum or, or anywhere else is a little bit debated. And so we're using these functional markers. In the antioxidant case, we're using a lot of the markers for oxidative stress and toxic exposure. So what you're telling me, if I'm hearing you correctly, and I think I am. I hope you are. Is that there can be upwards of 20 different analytes just directing one recommendation for a B vitamin. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, especially as it relates to things like B6, B12. I think there is roughly around 20 different analytes that drive the recommendations for those nutrients. Which is cool. And we talked about how we can't predict which pathway it would take preferentially once an insufficiency begins. So to get that wider look actually gives you much more insight into the subtleties of insufficiency. Yeah. And in some cases, there is a direct measurement involved. Like for the recommendation for magnesium, there's a direct measurement for magnesium, 
which drives a big part of the recommendations. But then there's also some other biomarkers in there that might make subtle alterations to that recommendation because they're magnesium-dependent pathways. So it is possible to have a normal direct measure of magnesium and still have a functional need for that specific Yeah, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about Mm -hmm. the last time with B12 and you know, serum B12 and its reflection on cellular B12. And do we know for sure that that means all the biochemical pathways are are running optimally with mm-hmm. a normal serum B12? We don't necessarily know that. Mm-hmm. And we don't know preferentially where the body is going to shunt B12, or in this case, magnesium, based on inadequacy. So that's where that's where some of those subtle details might come out in the, the overall results. So we're measuring all of these different sections. We're using blood and urine, right? What about the whole concept of all the different methodologies that you talked about, Michael? You think maybe we can get some insight from yeah. some of our lab friends? Yeah, because with methodology, it's this, the same thing that we were talking about with GI. You, We want to make sure that you're picking the right methodology for what you're looking at. You know, if you're looking at a red blood cell, what's the best measurement or method for detecting things within a red blood cell? What's the best measurement or method for detecting things in the urine? So methodology is always something that we're, we're talking about. And yeah, you know, maybe I don't know what all the methodologies are. There's a lot of them. I know there's a lot. So big um, long words. Maybe they are, they're fun words. So they maybe are. we could like phone a friend. Let's do that. To do a lifeline and let's just call Ashley Gibbon in the lab. She, she was on here her before. Back. And yeah, let's just have her run through them. Hello. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Michael and Patty, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Michael and Patty. How are you guys? (laughs) Good. How are you? Doing good. Awesome. So we had a quick question. We were talking about the NutriVal and about how there's a lot of different methodologies on that big test. Uh, Wondering if you can just quickly rattle off the top of your head, what are all the methodologies used? No no pressure there. No pressure for the the (laughs) NutriVal test. That's a big one. Yeah, the NutriVal in the lab is, I think, 12 different assays that oh probably covers about nine or 10 different methodologies. Most of them are chromatography assays. Chromatography is the science of separation, so that's super helpful when you're talking about blood and urine. So, for example, or, the organic acids and the essential metabolic fatty acids are GCMS, gas chromatography. Okay. Amino acids, FIGLU, 8-OHDG, or LCMSMS, which is liquid chromatography with two aspects. Okay. CoQ10 is HPLC and... The toxic and nutrient elements are run by ICPMS, which is inductively coupled plasma mass spec. Whoa. Um, so that's, <laughs> you, you guys could do a whole episode just on chromatography. We it's will. Really cool Please. Science. Awesome. Uh, and then the rest of them are sort of a collection of other chemistry methods. So like the glutathione, vitamin D, glucose, creatinine are all run on automated chemistry analyzers that run various colorimetric, chemiluminescent, enzymatic, kinetic kinds of assays where we add a reagent and it reacts with the analyte of interest that produces some sort of light or color that we can detect. Those are a lot of big words you just used there. Are are, are they English words? (laughs) They're chemistry words. They're they're kind of English. And then lipid peroxides is run by a method called T-BARS, which is a pretty standard way to run lipid peroxides, but it stands for thiobarbituric acid. Nice. which reacts with the lipid peroxide product called MDA, which is malaldehyde. Malaldehyde, yep. There you go. That's not the hard one to say. But when those two things react, it turns into this really pretty pink color that we're able to oh. measure that wavelength and the intensity of the pinkness. It's a very pretty assay. The intensity of the pinkness. <laughs> there you go. There you have it. 
<laughs> liver peroxide by the pinkness. Awesome. Oh. Thank you so much for your time. That was really helpful. And we will have you back on probably to explain what you just said. Thank you, All chromatography. Yes, anytime. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. What in the world was all that? I have no idea. And all those words. I know. But some of those I didn't even, I couldn't have even thought up in my dreams. Well, I hope in the future we'll be able to dive into each one of those and really understand what in the world they're talking about. Yeah, maybe in our segment called Technology, Scienceness, and Machine and Mechanics. Yeah, we got to get to that one. That's going to be my We've favorite We've got to bring that one. But in the meantime, let's go to a different recurrent segment that we do called Question of the Day. Yay. And I do this with some hesitancy. Why? Because of the recurrent nature of your jingling. Oh, no, no, no. It's, I, look, I totally fixed it. It's brand new. Why? This Why thing are is, you working this on this jingle? This thing is hot, okay? Like, I'm, I'm hesitant to press the button on the, this little <laughs> board because it's so hot. You ready? No. What do you think? I don't feel well. Oh. I do can't you, unhear that. Can I do? Oh, you mean it because of the song? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> What, what did you, you do like to it? it? What did you do to it? It's totally different. The whole thing. I mean, it's just the melody line goes from low to high instead of high to low. Wow. it's It still misses the mark, but you do keep working on it. You're somewhat tenacious, though incredibly misguided. And with that, let's get to the question of the day. Let's do it. Mm. All right, Michael, here's a question. If a patient is doing a nutritional assessment, uh -huh. like a functional nutrition, like a, a comprehensive uh -huh. assessment, uh -huh. should they stay on their particular supplements or come off of them? Yes. Great. And we're going to wrap it up here, folks. No. So no, the, that's a good question. What we normally say is that first and foremost, it's it's up to the clinician, right? It's up to you, doc, to determine whether you want to keep your patient on a supplement or take them off. And here's some things to keep in mind. If you are leaving them on their supplements, you're going to get an assessment of what their biochemistry looks like on the supplements, right? Because mm -hmm. we talked about this is ultimately a, a biochemistry test. I'm referring specifically to the, the NutriVal, but this, this is kind of similar for a lot of different nutritional tests. You want to you know, is that supplement that they're taking, what's where their levels are being on it. Right. The other option is to have them come off of supplements and run the test and you're going to get more of a baseline reading. And that can be helpful when you're trying to decide maybe it's a new patient. They've been on a million different supplements. You want to just start from scratch. You want to see what their biochemistry looks like without any supplementation. Then you can take them off for a period of time and then run the test that way. One thing to know is that you need to keep in mind the differences between water soluble vitamins and fat soluble vitamins because Water-soluble vitamins like vitamin C, B vitamins, those are going to flush out of the system relatively quickly. We tend to say three to four days is, is about how long it might take for someone to come back down to baseline. With fat-soluble vitamins, those are going to stay in the system a lot longer. So if somebody's on a fish oil and you want to see what their omega-3s are like without fish oil supplementation just based on their diet, they're going to have to come off for maybe even a, a month or two, you know, 90 to 120 days because it's a red blood cell test and it's fat soluble. So keep that in mind. I think a lot of clinicians will have people come off their water soluble vitamins like their B vitamins and vitamin C, leave them on the fish oil because they don't want to wait that long to run the test. I would also think 
you know, if someone's on supplementation when they do some of these tests and it still uncovers need, the question always comes up, well, what does that mean? And so from our perspective, it's either maybe they still need more or is there something going on in the gut? Maybe they're not really fully breaking down and reabsorbing their supplements. Yeah, it could be. You know, the test is not, at least the NutriVal test was not designed with people on supplements in mind. So reference ranges aren't based on people on supplements. So whether that is going to indicate a potential need for more is it makes sense from a physiologic standpoint. It's not something that's been tested yet. It's definitely something I think that would be an interesting study to say, you know, somebody's taking it and the biochemistry is still showing a higher need. They need to take more. And then, you know, what's the outcome study there? That would be excellent work to do. And, And I also think about when patients do these tests, to encourage them just to continue on their normal diet. We don't want them to change their diet just before the test in preparation for no. the diet. We want to know what they're doing day to day. No, because that's just going to give you really aberrant information. Right. You're not going to know. And, and sometimes that happens because patients know that they're going to do right. a test in the next couple of days. And so they really dramatically try to clean things up. Test comes back looking normal. <laughs> what does that um, tell you? Right, Nothing. exactly. So you want to make sure to really encourage your patient to continue doing whatever it is that they do. And, and that could be why this is a really handy evaluation right up front as compared to when you're doing it down the road. You can do it right up front and then take a look at the improvement after they've been doing your treatment for three to six months. Great. Thanks. You're welcome. Aww. My pleasure. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that about wraps, wraps it up for today. We've Does really it? done a lot of nutrition talking. Yeah. Did, did we, we cover it all yet? I think we did not. I we think put we a did dent not. in it. I don't think so, actually. Oh. I, I I keep getting the sense that nutrition is a really big topic. (laughs) Well, there's still a lot more to talk about, which gives us a lot to talk about on the next episode. More content. Yeah. So what are we talking about on the next episode? I think next episode we should really concentrate on what in the heck is an organic acid and what do they tell us? Such a nebulous topic. Organic acids. strange. Cool. That sounds fun. Talk about things like cellular energy, mitochondrial dysfunction. dysfunction. Ooh, yeah, that sounds fun. Let's do that. That puts the fun in dysfunction. In mitochondrial dysfunction. Is there fun in mitochondrial dysfunction? Always. Okay. The content of the lab report is meant to be purely educational and not meant to be misconstrued as medical advice. So in essence, Michael, guess what? What? You still got to go to your doctor. Mm Oh. I love my doctor. Then good, go. Next time on the lab report, we talk about organic acids. What are they? I have no freaking idea. Well, maybe we can figure it out on the next episode. We should do that first. Yeah. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Yeah, because you know that adjusts, right? Uh, what? <laughs> Here's you. You're like, boy, my back is killing from this podcast. <laughs> I should really fix this microphone. <laughs> Why is it underneath the desk? <laughs> I That's can't not do it comfortable in my at all. It's hurting my back. <laughs>